Welcome back to Creators in Motion by Portrait Displays. This episode, I got to sit down with visual artist Mario Pichcordiero. Born in Lisbon, Mario now calls San Francisco home, where he has been making significant contributions to the vibrant art scene since 2015. Mario received his MFA from Chelsea College of Art and Design at the University of Arts London and has conducted extensive research on color trends in fine arts. Mario's art delves into the relationship between fine art and design, exploring the interaction between visual art and functional objects through experimental media and color. With a keen focus on color trends, he uncovers the symbolic and cultural meanings imposed on it in contemporary society. Drawing inspiration from previous decades in architecture, Mario's creative repertoire spans painting, sculpting, mixed media, and production design. Join us in a new episode of Creators in Motion with Mario Pichcordiero. My name is Mario Pires Cordeiro, um, and I'm a, a visual artist. So to start, could you just tell me what your favorite medium is? Oh my goodness. <laughs> my favorite medium? Uh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and who was your earliest artistic influence? Oh, my, my big first influence. Um, well, my first book art-related book was a catalog of Picasso and uh, I was about 12 years old and I was fascinated by that so maybe the first influence art influence was Picasso <laughs> sounds a little bit so cliche but yeah perfect perfect okay what medium do you hope to explore next I can't answer that question my uh, the next medium that I want to explore next I can't I don't know okay I don't know because who knows what the work takes me to, right? It's, it's, I can't, I can't answer that, sorry. No, no worries, that's an answer in itself. Do you have a favorite museum that you've been to? I do, I do. My favorite museum, uh, Tate Britain. Can you describe your artistic style in three words? <laughs> <laughs> my, my artistic style in three words, um, abstract, for sure, multidisciplinary, and I think I'm a painter. Perfect, what's your favorite work of art you've created? I don't, I don't have any favorites. They're all my favorites. Yeah, they're all my babies. Last one, why does color matter? <laughs> why color matters? I don't know if you could survive with, with, without color, or we will be a totally different human beings without color. It will be interesting to just imagine who the human species will be without perceiving color. Yeah, I love that. That was perfect. Okay, great. So to start, I read a little bit about your website, your life. I love your biography, like took me through your entire life. Were you always creative as a child? Uh, I want to believe yes. Right. Um, why I'm saying yes, because that was the, the moment that I feel more engaged with myself. Uh, it was the, the, the moment when I was painting or doing drawings, yeah. So it's, it, it was very clear from very early age that my connection, my link with visual arts was a bit different from the other friends, classmates. Yeah, that's perfect. And were you consciously aware of that? Like, were the adults around you encouraging you to become an artist? I was not conscious, but uh, the comments I was receiving from the, the adults, the teachers, was, oh, Mario, this drawings, Mario, this is so beautiful, he's so good with drawings, this is all right. So that's the moment that you kind of start creating a self-conscious of, oh, I, this is, and look, and also comparing with what was happening on the classrooms, right? 
Right. We, they're, um, yeah. So were those adult voices around you encouraging you to pursue art or just viewing it more as a hobby? Not much at home, mm. no. But uh, the teachers and, the, yeah, they were very uh, uh, expressive mm -hmm. about uh, the admiration uh, for, my, for my work. Yeah, what kind of work were you creating when you were in school? Um, that it's all related with your own experiences. Drawings related with the experiences on the summer, summer holidays, or um, the family, the dog, pets, the friends, your best friend. Interesting look back, right? It's always that very emotional connection. Uh, yeah. It's interesting because you talk about growing up in an all-white house, like your mom didn't want to hang any art. She was afraid it would put holes in the wall. How do you think that impacted you? It's fascinating, right? Uh, when suddenly you end up on totally on the other side. My practice is all about color and how do we perceive color and and the filters subconsciously that we use in our brains to, to perceive the, the, the color and how this works with our emotions. Uh, it couldn't be more opposite to grow up in a white walls environment. Um, it took me a while to, to color is complicated. <laughs> Color is very, very complicated uh, in so many levels. There is a term that I love, chromophobia. Uh, is a word created by David Bachelor, an amazing artist, and um, and that's it, it's it's a fantastic word because that uh, describes exactly what the majority of us feel about wearing bright colors or choose colors, they somehow get out of the environment. Yeah. People don't like to take risks. Okay, and this is a personal question, but obviously now you're a prolific artist. Does your mom hang your art on the walls? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she has an option now. <laughs> yeah. So no, really, she loves it. She's very supportive. Yes. <laughs> so you brought a little color into there. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Okay, you talk a lot about your first art teacher, Antonio Coxo, who introduced you to the art world. How important do you find formal training is in art? He's a very special person. We, there was not much. We, we didn't talk. We talk a lot about art in his classes, classrooms, but we talk about life and how this complicated relation between life and art. Just to give you an example, we would start the class talking about the news, the major news from last night, and that would take us about the topic of a big masterpiece, that experience that happened in our houses last night at the dinner time, watching the news, and create this bridge with that painter, the topic that the painter elected as a subject for his, for his painting. So it was a lot um, education without feel being educated. It was activating our curiosity about the world, about perceived things. He, he, I don't, yeah, he's, I, I, he was a very special man to me. Absolutely, that's such an important lesson, especially to young people, to always be trying to expand your worldview. Is watching the news and talking about current events still an important part of your process? It's everything. Mm -hmm. It's not about the craft, it's about, before the craft, it's about what's going on in our brains. Mm. So if you don't build that curiosity, that taking risks of experimenting something that may not be the obvious, 
we do, how, how are we going to open new doors, right? And, and somehow contribute for a new understanding of the world and our surroundings. It's not just possible, in my opinion. The news become a problem because the way the society nowadays is built, it doesn't encourage an individual to flourish. It does encourage individual to, to be themselves. It's the opposite. We need to be extremely critical what we invite to our lives, what we consume in our days as never before. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Out of curiosity, how do you discern what type of media or external factors are there? It's not that clear. Some days I end up consuming more social media than I, 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 I would like. I think we all suffer from that. Um, but um, to have the conscious about our, our options, yeah, I th that's, that's very important. Absolutely. Is there a single lesson you'd say you took away from your time with Antonio as being the most important? He was a, a very provocative person, right? He, 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 he encouraged discussion without fear in the class. He was very critical about even the school system at that time. I know we just talked about the Picasso book. Is there a time that you remember a work of art making a lasting impression on you? Yeah, there was a, a painting that I, I, you know, art books, Van Gogh, but see his work live is quite something. Uh, and there's a, a particular painting which is a, a uh, an almond tree that for some reason always uh, grabbed my attention on, on uh, art books. And there was this incredible uh, exhibition in Amsterdam many, many years ago, put together. Uh, um, and I bought a ticket from Lisbon to Amsterdam, this was like 20 years ago, myself. Uh, Amsterdam at that time was already famous for other reasons, not for the museums. Uh, so I'm, all my friends, oh, you go to Amsterdam? Yes, yes, <laughs> to see uh, uh, um, uh, Van Gogh. And uh, yeah, that was very special, that experience. Mm. And I ended up doing a performance in that museum uh, 10 years later. Uh, and that painting wasn't there, unfortunately. But the, the, the power, the energy, the artwork radiates that uh, is still. Yeah, that's such a full circle moment that you were able to perform there. That's why it's so important, right, for us human beings to be exposed to art. And I mean by art, good literature, good videos, good films, visual arts, dance, theater, because that helps us to have different relationships with our own realities. Um, and that's where I think we build uh, our unicities and, and, and different ways to see, see the world. Utopic, utopia projects, they were never built. Mm -hmm. They were abandoned for some reasons. Um, architecture, design, futuristic projects or projects they, they feel from not the present. Uh, yeah, I do feel very inspired by the yeah. works that they somehow they don't belong to the present. They belong to a different space from time and space from the future, but somehow they are activated in this moment. That, that is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Why even that happen?
right? And how will you feel that? And then how do you find material like that? Is there an element of research that goes into like finding those projects past or present that were abandoned and kind of have that utopian feel? I used to go to libraries on a weekly basis, right? But that's, that's gone pretty much. Mm. Um, now it's all online. Mm -hmm. uh, so in a way, it's a different process. Mm -hmm basically, because the technology that our lives are engaged with, it's so different. Actually, it's changing dramatically on a year, like every two years, every three years. Yeah, I mean, with artificial intelligence too, the whole landscape's probably gonna change again. The moment that we think that AI is so demo day, what kind of technology will be on that present. And we already feel scared about AI. Mm -hmm. And it's just the beginning. Right, I mean, you said being knowledgeable about the world and creative events is important. Do you find that that ever competes with your creative energy? No, okay. but we need to be informed. Yeah. We need to be informed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then what we do with that information, that's a different topic. Okay, switching gears to earlier in your career, I read that you got your start in film, kind of doing puppets and production design and costume design. What drew you to film and why did you end up leaving the industry? Um, the camera is so much, it's so much easier. You behind this black object, or used to be, and it's a, a, a fantastic filter that you can control in so many different ways. You're safe, or you, this idea about safety is also interesting, right? But you, it feels like you're more in control of things. Mm -hmm. uh, it's more curated. When in front of a canvas or in front of a panel, it's a different business. I feel like we are way more vulnerable. Uh, but then th something was missing. It took me a while because I really enjoy uh, the social environment. Mm -hmm. uh, it was quite special. But yeah, it's life. What types of films were you working on and, and what type of production design sets were you designing? Well, this happened, I, I was, uh, I spent more time with the cinema department than the theater department because of it was more captivating to me, more fascinating the the, the build that environment and also it was so much quicker, all the process and at that time I was very excited about that. And actually see things happening, right? The the set design for theater was so conceptual. Uh, very complicated, uh, I found. Mm -hmm. But then um, I want to to do my own productions, and fine arts gave me that possibility. And I did a lot, not a lot, but some work that involved different mediums, right? a video, a performance, mm -hmm. as an extension of that background for sure. And now I'm totally merging painting. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. And it's so interesting how you've managed to change mediums so many times. Obviously, you carry that past with you and your experiences to each new medium. Okay, I want to get this quote right, because when I read it in your biography, I thought it was so funny. You mentioned in 1999 that you'd begun to exhibit your work in professional spaces to the annoyance of some of your professors. Was that jealousy that you were in school and already doing professional work? Like, what, what did you mean by that? What do you think they meant by that? I love the academic environment, don't get me wrong. But I also love the real world. And, and I always saw that as an opportunity to experiment all the ideas, right? <clears throat> I always had that need to to resolve the problems working through the process, not necessarily just stay on a 
conceptual environment. Um, and some teachers, they, they, they didn't like that. They didn't love. Mm -hmm. they, they thought that was uh, too soon. But more important what they think, it was what I thought that would be best for me. And uh, yeah, I didn't regret. There was no regret. And I, I enjoy a lot doing projects, parallels to the academia. When I read your biography, I could see academia was obviously like a really important part in your journey, returning to school, going back to school for different mediums. Do you think that's just part of being an artist, is just being open to learning and new ideas? Or was that a way to sustain yourself? What kept you going back to school each time for each new medium? Um, I think it's the space that is created for um, to reflect about topics to question things, to exercise new ways. So it's, it's, a, it's a very safe environment for that happen, uh, where um, we are encouraged by nature. Good PhDs, that's what that is all about. Mm -hmm. What's the question, the research topic? and how that research topic can contribute for the evolution, the knowledge, for a new, bringing new knowledge of, of right? It's, um, it's a drop, a water drop, that uh, it's expected to create, to resonate in different ways from what's already there. Um, and my work, Start what I'm doing in my present is definitely related with that experience at uh, University of the Arts, where I was involved in a, in a PhD uh, research about color trends and um, in, in fine arts. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I wanted to ask you what exactly does a PhD in color entail? Mainly because every older literature, older there was, in my opinion, there was so much missing um, at that time, the way color was written about. Uh, and no one was really talking about color from, in, in a fine art context, from a trend. Create this bridge between artists, visual artists, and a society, interior design, architecture, fashion designers, uh, but f from the, the color perspective. Um, yeah, so, and I, I, I did come across with that, uh, some of this information, and I found this, this is my call, yeah. For those who don't know, could you explain what a color trend is, and also maybe how color trends have changed throughout the decades? Color trends is, is I, I, <laughs> it's fascinating because it's abstract, but it's not on the same time. How can we predict what we're going to wear in two, five years time, color-wise? How is that even possible? And looking back from the 70s, 80s, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's basically a bunch of researchers they meet regularly and uh, from different fields, um, economy, politics, who knows. And uh, it's a very participatory process um, in a sense that we try to understand the direction of our lives. Just to give you an example, are we, are we moving towards a, a, a more collective awareness of environmental issues or the opposite? Are we more excited about, I don't know, a new plastic uh, from petrol or are we more excited about a container that was developed by uh, 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 coconut fibers? Um, 
so and and there's scholars associated with these objects, with these environments, and what that tells us. So at the end, it's created uh, uh, around thirty colors, sometimes more, that tend to uh, um, create the mood of that particular year and how that mood can be translated into interior design, textiles, and so on. Product design. How does geography play a part in that? That's, thank you for that question. Geography, personal tastes, right? Uh, it does, especially now that we live in this global space. Uh, it's fascinating. But like, if suddenly there is a country become popular as a tourist destination, what colors we associate with that country or that town or that national park? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and then we experience that and how our references are or not updated. For example, oh, I used to like browns, but I visit Mexico. Oh my God, there's all these fast, incredible colors combination that. Um, so on a subconscious level, and this may take a little bit longer, but uh, that's why it's so important for us to, to experience mm -hmm. things, right? Um, so I may have a different relation every time I see that bright pink because I was exposed to a context that somehow resonated in my brain. Uh, so I may end up like pink. <laughs> I love every color anyway, so don't get me wrong. So I guess what I'm trying to understand, because I find this so interesting, basically there's 30 colors that are chosen by people like you, color trend specialists, economists, fashion designers. And does geography play a part in that? Because I know when I think of like New York or Berlin, like dark industrial cities, I'm thinking people wear a lot of black versus a place like Greece, you know, with blue tiles and lots of whites and, and brighter color clothing. Um, do those color trends need to be separated by geography? Like, are they tied to different environments? Um, do some places have their own color trends versus others? That's a great question. There is some adaptations, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Asian market, right, or European market, or even US. And that's very obvious, for example, for uh, paint, yeah. interior design, uh, uh, house paint. Uh, the college, even in U.S., um, West Coast, East Coast, uh, uh, the colors that are suggested or elected as a color trends, the combination, you tend to have variations because there is the personal taste and the light, right? The light on the on the uh, geography. You're talking about you, the light in Berlin, totally different from the light in New York, mm -hmm. and that interferes a lot the way we perceive color. Right. Believe or not, the same yellow mm -hmm. exposed to different lights, and I'm not even thinking about artificial light, right. just the sun. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating. Fascinating. Wow, I never really thought about that. How the same color could mean something different to different people based on where the light is where they live. That's fascinating. I guess my next question would be. How does color accuracy play a role in your work? Like, how do you make sure you and another color trend specialist on the other side of the world are talking about the same shade of yellow? <laughs> you don't? <laughs> no. Uh, well, we use right color cards and uh, um, and uh, codes mm -hmm. uh, that universally uh, um, recognized, so that makes that communication more easier mm -hmm. and accurate. But when you are in a studio environment, when I'm doing working on my productions, um, yeah, that error exists, mm -hmm. um, and also the 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 technological limitations of the pigments and the color itself, uh, what is available in a market, um, yeah, yeah, because. Even, for example, colors from the same brand 
they react differently with the surface because the pigments from different sources, different minerals, different stones, different uh, plants. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay, back to color trends. Do you think it's like marketers and companies that are trying to sell certain colors of paint or whatever that are marketing colors, let's say for home design, that are, you know, like appearing in architectural digests in celebrities' homes and then trickling down to the rest of us? Or do you think people subconsciously or psychologically decide what colors appeal to them and then it has the reverse effect where then fashion designers are making clothes around those colors? Let me give you an example. Just before the pandemic, right? Um, the year before the pandemic, the market was suggesting a fairly bright color tones as a prediction color trends. But then the pandemic happens. And we were, as a collective, stuck in our homes, craving for uh, outdoors, especially in the first couple months, right? The local park became a paradise. We were forced to pay attention to that grass, to the trees, and value that as never before in our lives. So just to give you an example, suddenly that little tree in your backyard for the neighbors become, oh my goodness, such a fresh air, yes, right? Uh, and um, so the re the, we collective were forced to that experience, generally speaking especially the ones that were living in, in big cities, big towns. Uh, so we were more appreciative to colors that reminds us nature, earth tones, skies, water, greens, and probably less super bright, vibrant metallics. It didn't. It it doesn't feel right. So, as a human, I probably will be more interested in objects that somehow resonate that environment, that that mindset of comfortable, cozy, rather than futuristic. You know, uh, um, shiny. Probably not right now. Eventually, later. So, uh, yeah, there's also, there's personal, but also a collective experience. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a monetary value behind the skills you have. I'm just curious, you talk a little bit in your biography about having worked in a corporate job and finding it very draining to your creative side. What is your relationship to money and, and working a stable, steady job? At the end of the day, it's your choice what kind of life you want to invite your own lives. And each choice has its own risks and challenges. And it's also related to what you value as a human being. I personally cannot see myself working in an office regularly from nine to five, but I do see myself reinventing my work constantly in my studio. Yeah, I'm so curious, just expanding on that, having recently graduated from college myself and a lot of our audience being students, what advice would you give to young artists who feel like maybe they need a safety net or a job, a day job that they do during the day and they just pursue their art at night or on the side? What advice would you give? There's answers are inside of each of us no matter how many videos you watch, how many books you watch, you have to look for those answers inside. You may not be ready on that moment. Eventually, it's not going to be part of your journey, life journey, but eventually could be. So I would say be open to those possibilities and, ha and exercise a deep honesty with the self. Not many people have the courage to do it, uh, but I recommend, I suggest, I encourage, because that's what makes us special, to create our own path, our own journeys. Yeah, 
That's what, what we value. I want to see a great film director because it's unique vision. I don't want to spend my time and watch more of the same. I want to be surprised. I want to finish that book and say, wow, such an incredible writer. Same topics, same, but the way that thing was articulated brought so much fresh air, so unicity. That's what we want. That's what, as a human species, that's what we value at the end. Fashion designers, mm -hmm. those ones that, whoa, what's going on here? How do I, how am I going to place this dress in my references? This is so, I never see anything like that. That's what we want. Yeah, absolutely. And these new, the new generations, is, it's, that's why education is so important, to encourage from an early age to, it's almost like a seed that teachers have the responsibility to, in my opinion, as never before, to put in each, in each brains, like the, the, the curiosity, back to, 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 to the <clears throat> initial conversation, the wonders. Yeah, absolutely. I think having a good teacher or mentor who believes in you is so important. Yeah, but also we have to demand that from the teachers. Mm. I mean, as a student, we also has that responsibility to demand from you being paid, do the job properly. Ask the right questions. The questions that are going to help me to grow, not the questions that are expected, that I can Google it and have an answer in one second. Mm -hmm. No Google anymore, AI, sorry. <laughs> Okay, it's hard to imagine your work without all the color in it. I feel like that's what I associate with you, but you said your work actually didn't have much color in it until 2004, and that's when you discovered the International Color Authority Catalog. And is that really what changed everything for you? That was the back of the days that you <laughs> you were doing the research, the homeworks at the libraries, right? Uh, yeah, it was a fantastic book, color, uh, uh, a catalog with an impressive production with color samples and the prediction for five, five years ahead, mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't exist anymore, right? Because the trends, they change so much. And also the technology, I can get a fabric printed in a week and get delivered at home. 10 years, 15 years, 20, no way. It would take six months mm -hmm. to get that produced at least. So to get the color right, there was right, so much more uh, uh, the investment, way more complicated. Uh, luckily that it's, it's so much easier now. I never first, the idea of to have someone tells me what going to be my favorite colors in five years time, are you crazy? <laughs> who, who is this authority, right? Who, who do, right? Uh, so that challenge, uh, my curiosity, it was enormous. And I ended up meeting the director of that company, uh, Sir Benjamin, um, incredible human being. And uh, yeah, that was definitely a, a turning point mm -hmm. uh, in, in, my, in my art career. Yeah, that's so funny and lucky. I mean, it's meant to be that you found that magazine and that catalog when you were looking. You talked a little bit about color forecasting, color trends. How do you approach color when you're creating a new piece? So I, w I no longer choose my colors. I do, but I don't. And why I'm saying this, the colors that I choose are from someone already put those colors together. And these someone are these institutions. Uh, they uh, study market, do market research, and they tell us 
in 2024, in 2025, we consumers, we're going to be more sensible, more sensitive to this particular green, not that one, not the other one, this one. Here's why the reasons. So I have access to that information. So my color palette is ch ch chosen based on those 40, 30 colors. Uh, why am I doing this? The connection with the present, the link with the present moment, it's, it, it, that's the connection, right? The, the, we has a, the combination of colors that we now, that we identify more are totally different from 10 years ago. And that, that, that's our identity uh, uh, that is resonated with the products that we buy, the package from the supermarket. And it's never one color, it's always a combination of colors, the mood. Mm -hmm. And I want to bring that to my own practice. I want to embrace that, commenting, and sometimes being very ironic and use different color trends from different brands applied in my, in my sculptures. What happened to that shape? If I use the color trends from one brand or to the other brand, do I perceive the same shape? Probably not. And what, 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 what's the mood there? Mm -hmm. Because at the end, it's, it's a commercial product, right? The color uh, industry. Definitely, and uh, and a huge business, and obviously they want us to buy constantly new clothing uh, and new paint, change our interior designs regularly. Uh, we we don't need that for sure. So yeah, there is that also aspect of critical thinking uh, around how do, we, how do we consume. Do you study color trends from the past as well, not just predicting the future? Like, how do you decide what decade or, or what era of color trends you're gonna use for a particular piece? In order to understand the present, sometimes we have to look to the past and to the future. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's time and space situation and some works they tell me to, to use that approach so I yes I end up using color trends from 10 years ago just opposing with color trends for the following two three years and see what's happened there and there's also cycles mm -hmm. and that's even that's even Fascinating. That's amazing. When we suddenly become very interested in recovering these combinations of colors from the past and bring that to the present, what that tells us, what that tells about us as a human beings, right? we, we, we know on that present, we are in a different time, but we're fascinated by the past or that particular, and we, we want that part be part of it. Uh, yeah, the nostalgia, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's great. Interesting, very interesting. Yeah, I'm excited for our listeners and the people watching to actually get to see photos of your art so they can like see what you're talking about. Like your hat is a perfect example. So how do you use color to tell stories? Like what's your approach to storytelling as a painter or just in general as a person who uses color? That cannot be done with how each of us project our own experience in the work. So I, I, I basically an abstract artist. So that gives room for a law interpretation. And I want that. I want people brings their personal experiences to the work and create these multiple bridges between, oh, this reminds me ABC. 
oh, I like it. Oh, I don't like it. Um, so the narrative is probably way more open than uh, a figurative work. Mm. And that's totally fine. Yeah, and I've been wanting to ask about that hat you're wearing too. That's a perfect example. So like those colors in your hat, that combination, what inspired that idea? Yeah. I think it's, it starts with an intention. Mm -hmm. It's something, it's, it starts with a question, what if? And it also starts with something that is missing, something that I need to bring to these worlds that I never seen before. It doesn't exist and has to be created. So this is almost like problem-solving situation. It's like, we don't have wheels, but there was a moment there was that need to design a wheel. It happened. So it's a kind of that on the same box. So but I, funny because I use objects, normally I create objects, they not utilitarians, which is not the case of this cap, but, uh, 80% of my production. We don't need that, right? We will survive without the painting, for sure. Uh, but it starts from there, from that, uh, it's a, a, a call, internal call that something is missing here. There is an object that has to happen, has to be created, has to be revealed and then you initiate the process of figuring out what that means, what that project, what that work looks like. Planning, exercising, bring materials. Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? And to have this deep connection link with the work itself, because the work sometimes tells you what to do. You just need to be there in the present and not force it. Mm -hmm. uh, my, the most successful works, they started, that, that was a journey where I was more connected with the work and being vulnerable and accept the mistakes, accept the things that I didn't plan, but some reason they look right. And to have the courage to say, oh, this is not what I wanted, but this, it looks cool. What if I leave it here instead of redoing it or covering up or change it? Like, I'm really excited for our audience to see photos of your work. When you take photos, whether it's for your website or you're selling prints, what is your process with that? Like, how do you scan or photograph your work? We obviously talked a little bit about color accuracy, but how do you ensure those digital representations of your work are accurate to the colors? That, that's so complicated, right? Because we use monitors, we use scanners, and uh, every time a new technology is involved on that, registration process. Uh, reinterpreted, there is a reinterpretation of the original. Um, and if it's not done carefully, the colors, combinations, we want those color combinations to be as loyal as possible to the originals. Um, so sometimes it's difficult to find professionals, they, they're sensitive to these topics and, 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 and they, they do it properly. Yeah, absolutely. So you use monitors, it sounds like, for work, and obviously you have your personal monitor too. Do you calibrate either of those or does someone calibrate them for you? Sometimes I do. Uh, sometimes I use apps. Mm -hmm. They uh, identify the, the color mm -hmm. and they tell me uh, in terms of percentage, mm -hmm. what's what's happening on that yellow? We're talking about a lot of yellows today. <laughs> yeah, well maybe it's June, so. <laughs> yeah. so, the beginning of the summer. Uh, yeah, so the, uh, and that that's such a useful tool uh, to because helps us the accuracy, the reading of the particular color. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about the Olympics, obviously. Can you just tell everyone a little bit about how you got involved with the Olympics? 
That was back in London. Mm -hmm. uh, the first ever big commission I had. It was, uh, uh, it was actually a teacher suggested me to apply. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a competition and the work was selected. Uh, it was an incredible experience. Uh, all the preparation uh, I never done at that time surveys or uh, uh, about insurance, about uh, materials, toxicity about the materials. There was a, a, a big, even at that time already, a big uh, awareness in terms of the impact, environment impact of the work, mm -hmm. the artwork in, in, our, in our environment. Uh, yeah, it was an incredible experience. Yeah, can you talk about the actual projects you created for them? Like, could you walk us through one of the pieces? So that piece, uh, it started, the topic was London. <laughs> London, Olympics, London. I was like, oh gosh, right? This could be anything, really. So, and for some reason, I start paying attention to people's doors, the colors they were, the doors people were choosing. That city is not from the outside tend to be very uh, monochromatic, right? Um, tend to be very, um, no many variations color-wise from the outside. The, the, the expression starts inside, a little bit different culturally from here. Uh, so by notice the doors, there was that little almost like revealing what the interior could be. So suddenly I noticed that, oh, people are actually painting doors, reds, blues, totally opposite to the brick wall, a bright red next to a, yeah. So I created a survey. Um, there was a lot, many buzz rides at that time. I created a map where I located doors where the color stands out. The color was unexpected mm -hmm. from that social environment. And that also created an interesting idea about color pollution. Um, that I, I already started before that, thinking about we have noise, we have, we have so different types of pollution, uh, but we don't talk about pollution from a perspective of color. It does create impact in our environment if it's not chosen carefully and affects our emotions in our bodies the same way as the quality of the air. So driving around by bus, buzzing around London and, and, and locating these moments. So it took me two months to put that together, basically. And at the end, I had a map with these unexpected colors and that was the beginning of the piece, collecting those colors, putting that together, and from that restriction, make sense of that restriction and create a work that was hoping to be almost revealing back, bring back to the city like, no, the, the colors, they're not that alien to us. They exist. They're here. We, we probably don't see it, but they're already there. I'm not creating anything. That's so cool. Okay, changing gears one more time. You've talked so much today about the teachers you've had and the way you still remember them and the lasting impact they've had on you. Can you tell us a little bit about what the MPC Studio Exchange Program is? Thank you for asking that. Uh, 
that program started with a need to give back to the community, share my experience as an artist, and also help others to pursue their dreams. Because looking back, to have some t some someone with us to encourage it's it's so important. Um, so that program started with that need of help others to pursue their own dreams on a on a, a visual art context. I love that. Can you just walk us through an overview? Like, is it called the MPC Exchange Program because you're having students from all over the world come to you? No, it's okay. it's all all local, but they they help me. So there's exchange because there's this two way street. Mm. They help me with my productions, and then I help them with their productions yeah. on the same level. So, for example, someone wants to leave. I'm talking about corporate environments always had this dream to become an artist and so that's that program for example helps or even students just finish a degree in fine arts they have no idea what to do next how am i going to approach a gallery or a commercial environment that could be so intimidating uh, and also i learned so much with other it's it's uh, it's a learning process for me as well, and I I I'm so grateful for those moments that I'm also challenged, and I I'm 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 surprised. Yeah. How many artists do you have participating in the program? It was very popular before the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, things stopped. There was no um, the problem was, and now gradually is is. Um, is coming back. Um, there's a new configurations uh, that are still testing. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to have. Uh, it's it's one to one, so that's uh, it's a, a very um, selective process. Uh, and each person we could work together for two months, but I had cases six months. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Amazing. I love that concept, that's so cool. And it, your mentorship program sounds amazing. For those who live too far away or just aren't gonna have a chance to participate in that program, what advice would you give to young creatives or aspiring artists out there? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> well, probably we have good and bad professionals in every field. This is not a very positive way to start. <laughs> but it's true, right? We have great doctors and you have those doctors that we don't want to see again. Uh, and the same is everything. Like you also have great art and you also have like art that maybe doesn't need to be produced. But more important is to create our own path, our own experiences. Um, it must be so difficult to be a young artist on his twenties in our days. And why I'm saying this, it's because a lot of the quality come from experiencing things. Screens are part of all our lives. But nothing replaces the experience to be in front of an artwork in present. Even if it's a video installation or that combines sound and moving image you need to be there. With uh, virtual reality, it's going to be really interesting 
but the same happened when the video, video art started to be uh, very popular. The same question. So this is all these cycles that technology challenges the way we communicate, the way we express ourselves, and that's so healthy. But then, it's, yeah. So um, back to your question, I would say you have to see as much as you can, like go to museums, participate in your community, go to galleries, visit, talk with artists, be curious about things, and not necessarily related with art. Curious about whatever resonates with you, and somehow that could take you back to the art, right? because it's all about the personal experience and how that personal experience can bring new things to the art field. And that's what we want. Again, we want to be surprised. We want to be. We want to be. We want to come across with new ways to see the same objects, the way to see, the, yeah. I think that's great advice, not just for young students, but for people who want to awaken their creative spirit. Um, but it's, it's complicated because you see depression level, depression numbers, people from suffering, young generations suffering from mental health are increasing on numbers that we never see this before. So how we, I, I don't know, it, it, it must be really challenging. It, it's been always challenging, but I feel like the challenges now are way more sophisticated and way more complicated than never before. I think our lives, they were so much easier mm -hmm. in the past. Now the technology is embedded in, uh, on us, phones glasses yeah mm -hmm. um, but that could be part of the experience the creative process totally right totally mm -hmm. the same way when we're creating pastels right suddenly well, whoa my goodness what is this thing that I can take with me to the countryside, to the fields, and make a painting without being stuck in my studio. So this portable technology allows me to be in front of an incredible landscape and do a painting right there. And the same with the two, the two paint, right? Yes. Uh, so we no longer need to be in the studio, mix the pigments with the oils, blah, 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 that very tedious process. Now you can go to the store, buy the tube, and take with you and go outside. So this is a very basic example how technology totally changed the way we express our ideas and feelings and emotions and all that, yeah, on a canvas. So the same phones, and it's all about the technology, and, and, and more the technologies, how do we bring that technology to our, to our experiences. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense, using technology as a tool for your art. Yeah, but that has to be filtered from a sharp mind. Without that being sharp, critical, questioning, you become a slave, you become very easily, you consume instead of a creator. And that's a totally, the, the brain operates, using a totally different parts of the brain between A and B. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to be a passive consumer rather than to be on the other side. But this can be exercised. Yeah. And I, I, I encourage to everyone to do it. It's worth it. It really is.
I feel like I'm selling a propaganda thing or whatever. <laughs> I think it's great. Um, <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> yeah. Cutting all of it out. So it's going to be actually. Okay, one last thing before I let you go. Can you complete the sentence, color matters because? Color matters because it's personal. <laughs> and that's totally the opposite that we talk about this conversation. It is personal. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, that's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we want to encourage that. Thank you.